Hey, this is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Stephen. Be sure to visit Hollywood and Beyond on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for guest and show news, including exclusive photos, promos, trailers, as well as additional guest and show news. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the pages so that we can keep in touch with each other. Hollywood and Beyond, your home for meaningful interviews. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond podcast, everyone. If you happen to be listening today, you are a friend. I am your host, actor and writer, Stephen Brittingham. The show continues to grow and expand in some very exciting ways. All thanks to you, the listeners, and most definitely, my amazing guests. I am pleased to say that Hollywood and Beyond is now available to listen over on Stitcher. So in addition to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and and Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, you can also now listen to Hollywood and Beyond on Stitcher if you choose to do so. So thank you goes out to Stitcher for having us. And once again, thank you to all of you wonderful listeners. My special guest today has a rather unique connection to Hollywood and Beyond podcast. What connection would that be? Back on episode number five, Mark Withers was my guest. It was an absolute honor having Mark on the show discussing his amazing career, including his memorable role as Ted Denard on ABC's Dynasty. Thus, the connection of the past with today. My guest is the talented Michael Patrick Lane, who portrayed Ted Denard on CW's Dynasty. Mr. Carrington, you know what the first step we have is? I'm a drug addict, Stephen. Not an idiot. So, this is what 736 continuous days of sobriety looks like. Not a day has passed that I haven't thought of you or us, and I am just so, so sorry. My dad told me everything you know. What kind of person does that? What kind of man offers an addict that kind of money? Ted, hi. I don't want to bother you. Stephen, now isn't a good time. I always talk about forgiveness, but then when you came to me, apologize. They remember the chocolate cake? Stephen, thank God it's Ted. I'm in jail. Why? What the hell happened? I got pulled over as soon as I left your house. Look, they said they found drugs in my car, and now they're trying to charge me with possession. You think I'm so pathetic, don't you? No, I think you need help, and I'm calling the police. Should you get me out of the way? I'm sure that would make both you and Stephen very happy. Go ahead, just call the cops. And you can tell them that there is a crazy man in your apartment, and you had to do what you had to do. Well, life is a journey, and today on the show, we will learn much more about Michael's artistic and personal journey. He is finding himself on a lot of impressive shows out there, such as The Resident, and that is a show that I am enjoying big time, so I'm looking forward to discussing that with him, as well as Sun Records, another show that I have not begun watching yet, but I'm looking forward to doing so. 
Hey, say, you hear anything about that First Methodist picnic on Saturday? Heard something about it. Do tell. Matter of fact, I was even thinking about contributing one of my pints. Well, perhaps you let me accompany you. Well, Earl, I'd be more than happy to break out my peaches for you. Miss Kreisky, you are shameless. You have no idea. You Nothing but a bear cat. Now that's a hit. You don't say. You ain't nothing but a bear cat. Oh my God. Who did this? Can't say we were properly introduced. Sorry, man. The policy's policy. I was uh, wondering if you were free for dinner this evening. Just walk in the rain. <laughs> Looks like we got us a steamy office romance going on. Don't you have ad copy to review? Yeah, look who's back. And to be honest, he's showing up on many more as well. I have to tell you, it's been an absolute joy communicating with Michael uh, before this interview, and it is my pleasure and honor to welcome him to the show. Michael Patrick Lane, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, my friend. Hey, thank you, my brother, and congratulations on all the success and the way that you just keep expanding this podcast and creating meaningful interviews is, uh, is truly something else, man. That's amazing that you're on Stitcher as well. You're all over the map, brother. <laughs> yeah, I am all over the place. Well, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate that. You've also been uh, full of encouragement towards me personally, so I'd like to take the time to say thank you. means a lot. Thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you as well. It is just wonderful to have such a skilled and talented actor such as yourself on the show. Uh, the more I learn about you, I'm very uh, intrigued by your artistic journey, because I know that in your past, you could have gone down a different path, and I'm looking forward to uh, learning why that did not happen and why you eventually went on to go down a path of acting which I say thank goodness for that, uh, Michael, because you, uh, you are definitely a very good actor. So I thought the best way to begin, although I did mention, of course, your connection uh, with uh, guest Mark Withers. I can't wait to discuss all of that with you, uh, you, with your character Ted Denard over on CW's Dynasty. But how about we start in the very beginning, Michael? Uh, would you mind letting the listeners know where you are from? Yeah, sure. I'm born and raised in College Station, Texas. The good old state of Texas. Yeah, out in California right now, enjoying the sunshine and uh, 45 degree weather. <laughs> well, I host uh, the show here in Cincinnati, Ohio, so we're in the low 20s here, Michael. You have me beat by. Yeah, a bit. you don't. You don't hear me complaining. <laughs> <laughs> hey, send some sunshine this way if you don't. If you can spare a little bit of, of the rays, I'd appreciate it. You got it. It's coming right now. There it is. <laughs> it should hit you in about two weeks. All right. Thank you. That, that sounds about right, too. Well, now, growing up in Texas, um, how about your interest in acting? Was there a moment when you look back where you go, wow, I'm, I'm starting to really become interested in acting or maybe even becoming an actor? Oh, you know what? That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, when I was a little kid, like five, six, seven years old, I had these neighbors, these uh, three young women who lived next door to me, and they had this little Fisher-Price, you know, like um, kitchen, if you will. And I remember starting to set up scenes way back then, and then I cast them and my little brother 
And then they had some wooden blue car. And then all of a sudden we had like a, a whole play going on in my neighbor's backyard ever since I was a little kid that we would do like every weekend. And then when it came to music, you know, like the old theme songs, like Batman. So I had this old like 33 record and I had this friend, Alan Shuckler, who I grew up with. He was a total nerd, just like me. And, um, we would like get dressed up in like outfits and then we'd choreograph not dancing because I'm, I'm a horrible dancer. If anybody <laughs> ever asks, they'll be man, you were just bad. It was like a thought, but we used to make like little scenes to theme music. So I didn't really realize at the time that I was in acting, but I was, I was into being a total goofball and uh, I seemed to love it at like a young age. So my mom is the one who uh, caught wind of that and then started putting me in, theater programs around seven and then around nine years old, I started acting uh, year round outside of school, but in nonprofit theater, uh, easily 300 days a year, probably more. That's how I started. Well, that is a fabulous way to start. Mom picked up mm-hmm. on, on all that was uh, going on with you and, and possible interests. Um, <laughs> what a fun description. Well, this is absolutely incredible, Michael, because I grew up in the 80s, and I can relate to everything you are saying, because I used to make my friends do uh, film reenactments. I I, I would write the script from actual films, and, and... let me remind everybody, there was no internet back then, so I had to, it really took a while to come up with the actual lines from films. I would block it, direct it, and act in it. And um, so uh, that sounds very similar to what you were doing, my friend. Oh, wow. That is painstakingly, <laughs> amount. wow, you were so dedicated. That's, that's amazing, Stephen. That's, that's pretty freaking cool. Right? Yeah, well, so I, we have some parallels. Hey, that, that, that is wonderful to hear. So mom picked up on all of this, and obviously she got the ball rolling. What about your, um, you, know, you know, what is it about acting that you think you find enjoyable? Is, is there a certain aspect of acting that you just find enjoyable, irresistible, however you would like to phrase it? Well... You know, there was this movie I watched when I was a kid. It was a, a Disney movie that not many people have seen. It was called Perfect Harmony. And uh, it was set in the 1950s, and it had to do with uh, music, which I was always uh, such a big fan of. It always moved me. And it had to do with uh, good people, bad people, uh, racism, uh, the whole thing. And I found myself, like, totally in these different people's shoes. Like I understood why the person was being a jerk. I still didn't like him, but I could also put myself in the shoes of like this really nice guy. And then I I felt so emotional. I felt so bad for him. And I just, I knew that he wanted to be like a Superman, but he's this little skinny nerd who could sing. And then when it came to the other families of like different races, I was so moved. And I just, I couldn't understand like, why people were being treated this way in this movie. And I'm watching this at like seven years old and I was just so moved by it. And that, that has carried through to where people's lives outside of my own move me. And I tend to empathize with them and I've never been like a mimic, but I do have a little bit of a chameleon aspect to me to where I just, 
you know, you gravitate towards human beings and what they're going through. And then all of a sudden their problems can easily become my problems. And that attracts me to acting. And the fun part has been learning how to separate that and to find, well, who is Michael Patrick Lane? Because I need a clear definition of who I am or else I'm going to be on a whirlwind of emotions because I, I keep attaching to other people's souls and their, their essence. You know, whatever it is they're going through, I just I feel them so hard. So it really makes acting uh, a wonderful outlet for me because naturally I tend to shift and change. And the trick has honestly just been becoming, well, what do I represent as a human being in this world? And why do I represent it? And then allow myself to use that as more of a, a superpower that I love with all my heart, you know? Absolutely. And, 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 and that word empathy that stands out to me because that's one of the most important tools an actor needs to um, experience all of the range of emotions that might be necessary. I can completely relate to that as well, Michael, because when I was younger, I found myself thinking <laughs> I would watch something, Michael, and go, I kept looking at the viewpoint of all the characters and, and my mind would start to wonder and go, yeah, but no wonder this character is feeling that way. But wait a minute. See, they've come from this background. So that's why they're reacting that way. <laughs> and I guess that's, uh, I guess that's how the artistic mind can work. And you described it so well. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. However, despite um, all of this, um, uh, there was a time when you may have gone down a different path. And I just thought, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing that um, uh, back during your college days and, 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 and what that whole story is about as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, I fell out of acting at around 17. I had done about 150 shows and I had done some really cool things and a lot of singing by the time I was like 17. And then, um, you know, I fell in love. And then it was the first girlfriend. And uh, she didn't want me to be an actor. And gosh, I was so much of a people pleaser because I, I like people to be happy around me. So I completely let acting go and decided, okay, I need to do something that actually makes money. You know, and, and that isn't my dream. And I started living my life for other people a little too much. And uh, I went into finance. So I was a finance major in Texas. And then I went on to uh, work at a computer company. Oh, man, I managed a warehouse. What a mistake. I used to sleep uh, behind these really big bins that, that carried these, like, 70, 70-inch uh, TVs. There was a time when I knew I was going to go back to acting. <laughs> and I was 21, and there was this big opportunity to, like, go to New York and audition. So for three months, I was working nonstop between 40-hour weeks at a computer company and then also uh, working the acting nonstop and then uh, trying to date, be a good son and everything else. And I would be so tired. I would hide behind these little plasma screens. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I was like sleeping. I curled up like a cat. But it was oh, ridiculous. Wow. But I knew that um, I had to shift back because I had lost myself completely going to college. So I dropped out uh, pretty early on. And then gently, thank goodness, there was a woman named Nikki Peterson ever since I was a little kid said, Michael, you need to go be an actor. And she would tell my mom, Michael needs to come with me to LA. Michael needs to come with me to New York and do this. And it wasn't until much later in life that uh, I don't know if I found Nikki or she found me again, but it was like, this is my shot. I'm getting old. 
everybody who makes it in this business seems to be starting at 12, 15. So I was like, all right, <laughs> I better do it now, you know, because <laughs> now is the time. So I made that shift and thank goodness I did because um, I'm so grateful for it. And it took me a long time to uh, make it. And hopefully that's encouraging to other actors because, um, you know, I did a lot of short films, a lot of off-off-Broadway plays in New York. I mean, a lot. And trained my rear off. But I didn't book my first, like, SAG uh, speaking role until maybe eight years in. And I'm telling you, it was like two or three lines. And then I got a little five-liner. And then it would be another two years before I worked again. But I kept training and kept trying to find new tactics to get in because I knew that it would happen. You know, so there's a lot that you go through. But yeah, I'm glad I changed trajectory. Well, I sure am as well, and so are so many other people. It's very interesting, the decisions that we are uh, faced with at various times in our lives that can that can ultimately take us down a totally different path. And and despite your circumstance there that you described, you know, you chose the one in the long run that that um, will make you the most fulfilled. And and that's that's always a beautiful thing. Obviously, it sounds like your mother is um, a lady that would be very supportive of your decision. But I'm wondering, as I listen to you talk, so you talked about the girlfriend situation. What about other people? Were you a person, let's say you're close friends, right? Maybe your buddies or or maybe some good friends. Do you feel that they were all very supportive and understanding? Or did you have a few people go, "Ah, yeah, but I think you should do uh, something else? Oh, everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> everybody thought I was crazy, man. They were like, you know, maybe you could be a model. Maybe. <laughs> what are you doing? Actors, there's no way. Yeah, they're like, what are you doing? It's like, why are you leaving? Oh, my boss. Oh, my boss was such a jerk face, man. He was the worst. I mean, he literally told me, yeah, you know, maybe you could do porn. You know, that's probably what you're going to go into. Oh, and I was like, wow. no, I'm really doing this. I mean, he was, ah, uh, dude. Yeah, man, I had some mean people in my life. I had a lot of mean people, but I also had a lot of really supportive people who thought that I would make it when I was like 15, 16, 17. That's and then whenever I dropped out, they were all like, what are you doing? Don't do that. You know, go do this. This is what you're meant to do. And then when I dropped out, all those people kind of like forget about you. And then it's kind of like, oh, you're doing it. That's amazing. Yeah, you're totally going to make it. And then those people slowly start dropping off again as the years <laughs> you know, <laughs> dribble by, you know, but, uh, it's been fun because now a lot of those people are back being like, yeah, man, I knew that you'd make it and man, you're, you're freaking doing it. And it's inspiring. And man, I wish I could do it. And it's like, well, do whatever you want. You have an amazing family. Look what, look what you did. Gosh, you have three kids. That's amazing. You have a beautiful mm-hmm. wife, beautiful family. Look at you. You're supporting a family. I mean that, you know, so it's it's always interesting, but it's, yeah, people have been really encouraging. You just got to let go of the people who are negative in your life because they will slow you down. And um, the more that you're about love and abundance within your own life, what I found is that those people are attracted to you. Those people find you, you know, and those relationships find you. And then you, you cultivate them because the worst kind of actor, in my opinion, which so many can be, but not all of them, are the self-absorbed, me, me, me. 
man, do I love the people who are all about helping and giving back others to others and understanding that their time is going to come. But while their time hasn't come yet, they're going to keep sharpening their skills and they're going to give back as much as they can to the people whose time is now. And it'll come back. So there's been some great people in my life, my man. I'm glad to hear all of that. Wow. Thanks for sharing all of that. Uh, fantastic insight and perspective. You're absolutely right on the twofold there. So negative thinking or those people that tend to make you feel worse about yourself and you just notice you keep feeling that way every time around them, I'll tell you what, it is very dangerous because they will drag you down and they will have you doubting yourself. But positive people or people that support you or at the very least want you to be who you really are, if nothing else, they will uplift you. And having a strong support system is, is vital, isn't it? Especially for acting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You should see the group that I have around me. Even my roommates. Oh, I bet so they're inspiring. awesome. Uh, it's I, incredible. Yeah, I bet they're great. awesome. I can just tell by talking with you that I just get this feeling that, you know, you have some incredible friends. So my t I tip my hat to all your friends if they happen to be listening today. Um, okay, you're, well. You're, they're doing an awesome job. Now, what do you, um, what role, I should say, or was there a moment where you went, wow, okay, I'm really moving up here uh, as an actor. Was there a certain television role or film role where you went, okay, now I'm really taking some bigger steps here? <laughs> yeah, but I was totally wrong. Um, okay. there was, <laughs> it was the first movie I did. It was called Shelter, um, okay. and I got to be a lead in this movie. I made $600 for three weeks of work. I couldn't even afford my rent in New York City. But for three weeks, I was a star of a movie, you know, and I got to do the work, which I was so passionate about. And I did the work long before I got on set. And then I transformed my body during this three-week period because this whole movie takes place in 300 days to where you're locked in a nuclear fallout shelter. So I must have lost 20 pounds within a, a week and a half by eating nothing and running oh, wow. as much as I could after shooting 12 to 14 hours a day, I mean, I was sleeping like four hours a week, but I figured, you know, if you're in a nuclear fallout shelter, you're probably not sleeping that well. You're definitely not eating that much. So I was like, well, I better apply this in real life as well if I'm going to do what I want to do with this movie. But what that was for me was, holy shoot, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this like, and on a film set and I love it. And I think I'm really good at it. I was like, wow. And even though it didn't financially or even career-wise help me too much at the time, what it did was it fueled the next three years of not getting an audition. It fueled the next three years of continuing to develop the skills on my own and do whatever was necessary to uh, get smarter, you know, and it created that hunger. And then when I finally got to book something of more acclaimed substance, like Sun Records, where so that was my first big audition, like off the bat, was this beautiful seven of eight recurring guest star art, you know, with some amazing people and Oscar-nominated directors throughout the entire thing and Emmy-winning producers, and it was such an amazing story about rock and roll and the birth of rock and roll. And working with this phenomenal cast who's been on TV and in movies, you know, since they were 15. <laughs> um, and then all that accumulation of that nine 
10 years or whatever it was, um, really came into fruition. So shelter sparked it to the next level because I was hurting after five years of not knowing how to just get in the door until Sun Records to where all of a sudden it was all right. And that created some momentum to where everything that's come out was come out after Sun Records. So, you know, there was about, I don't know, like 17 or 18 guest stars and like three movies maybe that I did all within a three year period. And it's going to keep going. But I mean, yeah, but I mean, that's a decade of working my rear end off, not including all the stage work since I was like nine years old. Well, congratulations on all of yeah, your efforts right. paying off. And that is just, uh, that is just great. And isn't it, um, isn't it exciting even w- during those times when you're just not sure, you know, what opportunity is going to come if ever, but you know, that uh, deep down just around the corner, anything can happen. That's the kind of, <laughs> that's the kind of industry acting is anything can happen at any time and often when you least expect it and like you described like you were kind of like well after so many years and and then all of a sudden this happened so that's part of the excitement of of being an actor or an artist so to speak is is just you never know when something will 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 show up around the corner yeah yeah that's so true I got to be honest, though, you can also, you, you need to be aware of your surroundings, too, because you can make intelligent moves. It's easy to be in the grind. Everybody in New York and LA that I talk to is so busy. But what they forget how to do is take a moment, see where they're going, but then realize where they are, and then try to gain some perspective so that they can make one effective move. Like, what is the one most important thing that you could do today or this week that would make 10 times the difference rather than all this busy work of tasks. So anytime an actor tells me, dude, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. I have to like take a second and be like, great. This is all such incredible information. Where's my information coming from? Okay. What do I want out of my life? Okay. What is it that I really need to do? Is there something from this bucket list of overwhelming things that I should be doing that I really could do that would make a difference and that's been a a trick to me not uh completely overworking myself i i man that that is just absolutely fantastic thanks for sharing that because it's true you one can get so busy and and eventually even overwhelmed with so many tasks Granted, some are important, but sometimes you, you kind of uh, lose sight of maybe what you're trying to accomplish. Or, or like you said, what is of the utmost importance? Asking yourself, well, why? You know, is this better for me than that? And maybe I need to do this, you know, d- despite everything. So that is wonderful. Uh, thinking of what is the most important and, 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 and beneficial. I, I really like that. And we live in a time that is so exciting because you you touched on it, it's <laughs> waiting by the phone is not advisable. If you are an actor um, in Hollywood today, um, although I took this approach years ago, um, you can go out and make things happen yourself, and um, it's an exciting time, isn't it, artistically? Oh yeah, no, it so is. Yeah, and if you create work and you can learn how to get it funded and you can pitch it and everything else, you also you're giving back in such a tremendous way because you're 
you're going to be hiring actors and crew and so many people. So anybody who can reallocate their time to create their own work, it's, it comes back tenfold because you're, you're not just helping yourself. You're helping a lot of people. So it's incredible what you can do. Absolutely. I brought it up in the introduction, uh, Michael, and that is the connection to Mark Withers. So um, what's better than one Ted Denard? I say two Ted Denards. So what an honor for me to have both gentlemen that have portrayed the character. Uh, Of course, uh, Mark, back in the um, early 80s on ABC and uh, in such a memorable performance. And, And then you, you got to experience portraying Ted Denard. Uh, with a new version over on CW, uh, what is the backstory of, of of the audition for for Ted for Dynasty and 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 what was it like overall being on the show? Yeah, you got it. Well, first of all, um, hey Mark, if you're listening, man, I went back and watched some of your stuff, dude. You were you were amazing as Ted. So thank you so much for paving the way and being such a memorable character in such a short amount of episodes. It was it was a gift watching you, and I can't believe that you're taller than me. You're six four, I think. <laughs> That's incredible. He is a so tall the audition man. process. <laughs> well, the audition process for Dynasty was really interesting because I had just moved to LA and um yeah, you know, I was uh literally living like Harry Potter underneath of a staircase in North Hollywood. And I had had several self tape auditions you know, from some of my old reps in a different region. And then I had this audition for Dynasty and I was so tired. I couldn't sleep. There was a a restroom that the toilet kept running and I'm literally sleeping underneath of the staircase because I'm trying to bring my overhead down so I can just focus on acting (laughs) and use all my other money from the TV shows to just sustain. So I call my friend and I'm like, dude, I have nothing left in the tank. Ah, Will you please help me run lines for Dynasty? And um, he was like, yes, but you also have to move in with me. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, no, I'm not taking no for Nancy. You're getting out of the freaking Harry Potter staircase. So he moved me that day out to this beautiful home in Los Feliz uh, with his fiance, who's now his beautiful wife. And we worked on Dynasty. I was so exhausted. I was sleeping two to three hours a night, working on, like, probably had, like, 12 other auditions within a week, a week and a half that were all self-tape, massive auditions. And then I showed up to Dynasty. He drove me. We were running lines in his Honda Civic. And I pull up, all suited up, big bags under my eyes. And um, I met Sandy Logan, who was so incredible to work with. And it was such a gift to meet her. And I, I can't wait to work with her again. Such a great casting director. And it was literally one audition. And then... I emailed my management and I was like, Hey, I don't know how well that went. I have no idea. I can't think straight. And then he told me the next day, Oh, okay. Well you booked it. I was like, Oh, cool. And then the funny part is working, you know, here they fly you first class. So I'm going to Atlanta to shoot, you know, dynasty. And I always thought, you know, I'm in first class and have a champagne. I'm going to talk to some cool people. No, 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 no. Not when you're a working actor. I tell you what first class is. It's a little more space so you can work on your script <laughs> or go to bed <laughs> before you go because you want to do a great job. Yeah. You know, and working on that set, man, was just magic, man. It was just magic meeting like wow. 
such amazing actors and Alan Dale, like right off the bat, Raphael, and James McKay, and dude, everyone was a great show. And we had such a great time. And I, I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world. And every single episode, I knew I was guaranteed two episodes. I mean, luckily it got to five and we'll see if it goes anymore. I have no idea, but I tell you what, every single episode from episode two, they started trying to like kill me off. I felt, <laughs> you know, they sent me to drug like rehab, you know, um, I'm in a love affair, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, he's in a love affair. So we got to get rid of him. And then he comes back and, and then I jump out of a window and then it's like, okay, I guess I'm dead. And then it's like, oh, no, he's alive. He goes to a coma. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm living the soap opera dream, baby. <laughs> hey, th- th- this yeah. is the revenge of the original Ted Denard. He's alive and well. He refuses to die. I can't wait till they bring, you know it. I'm going to have an <laughs> evil twin coming soon. I'll tell you what. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that in many of my interviews, Michael, I, I've seen a good portion of the guest work, or let's say if they have a main project, I have to be honest and tell you in this situation, I have not yet started viewing uh, CW's Dynasty. However, that's about to change very, very soon. I have it all ready to go on Netflix. So um, I, I have not seen. You're saying I ruined it for you. Well, you know what? It won't, it's fine because. Uh, I, I still can't wait to see it. And um, it did answer one of my questions, though, because I thought that maybe your character would have unfortunately had a, a sad fate similar to Mark Withers version um, over on ABC's Dynasty. But it sounds like your character is uh, still out there somewhere and might even return. Uh, I am looking forward to, to seeing your performance. Now, I take it that you, too we're not very familiar with the original dynasty. I mean, as far as actually uh, having seen a lot of episodes. No, I wasn't. I mean, honestly, the only reason I watched it is because you interviewed Mark and uh, I wanted to see his work after, but I, I don't like, yeah, if ever, I mean, I've done a few period pieces and uh, I like to go into research of history and try to, uh, see how people acted back then or read about how people acted back then mm-hmm. or, you know, their mannerisms and try to understand culture and then try to feel like, okay, well, well how would that feel if, if this was the culture, if I put myself into that person's shoes in this time period, that's good for me. But if ever I watch someone else's performance, like Mark Withers' performance, it would subconsciously affect some of my choices, I think. So I'm pretty, pretty cautious about that. And, of course, the early 80s, Michael, that's a wonderful observation by you because if you fast forward to today, it it would be very different because at that time, this storyline between Ted Denard and Stephen Carrington was was not only very courageous and uh, – and and all that goes with that, but it was written very intelligently. um, And it was uh, quite impressive that – the powers that be decided to do this storyline on season one, no less, when you're just getting your foot on the ground, um, 
at a time when, you know, uh, not everybody was maybe so accepting of, of such storylines, you know, having grown up in that decade, uh, you know, especially the early part of the 80s, you know, it was still an ongoing factor. And um, so that storyline is one of the significant storylines involving characters that are gay or in the case of Stephen Carrington, actually bisexual, if you want to be honest, because he was also involved with with various women. So you, when you factor all that in, and you said you listened to the interview, so you know what I'm talking about, um, it, I have to give my uh, uh, respect to the powers that be that came up with that storyline. Now, when you uh, portray Ted on CW's Dynasty, I'm assuming the character is, is gay as well. Yeah. Yeah, he is. It was my first time to uh, to portray gay. It was uh, it was actually a, a wonderful experience, and uh, much um, it was a, yeah, it was it was great to do that actually. And I always always worry because I'm like, man, I don't think that this is disrespectful because I'm straight, but it's like, yeah, I think that this is so good for me. You know, like yeah, my dad is to be an actor. My dad is to be this person and understand it. And it was actually quite lovely because um, James McKay and I had a had a kissing scene in an episode. And I tell you what, it was, uh, it's just so amazing because there is no difference when you respect someone and you love someone as a human being, you know, for me, at least as the actor, because I've been in relationships and stuff outside of set to where, you know, I have someone to where I'm never going to hurt the person that I'm with in real life. So whenever I've kissed a girl, it's always been more about an energy and respect and professionalism, but understanding and loving each other as a character. And that was always very fluid. So it was interesting from an actor's point of view, because I've never done it. I was like, am I going to have any problem with kissing a guy because of my upbringing in Texas? And I was curious. So I was like, I don't know. I've just never done it. I don't think so. I don't think I have any, I, I have so many friends you know, who are again, but I did have to ask. I was really curious. I was like, wow, what's going to happen to me? And this is, this is exciting. And James McKay and I, it was the same as, you know, kissing a girl on set because it's all magic and it's all real in that moment. But there's so much respect and love, you know, for just humans in general that I, I don't know. I, maybe those was like way too much information, but it was a gift to be able to do it. And I've looked at a couple of other homosexual and bisexual roles because the storylines are so progressive. I, I don't think I can tell you about some of the storylines, but there are things that because it's more, because it's socially acceptable now, gosh, it's so mean to say socially acceptable, whatever, right. that's society. But because it's socially acceptable now to have two moms, two dads, and all this stuff, more instances of people getting divorced. It's not just going to be mommy and daddy got a divorce and now mommy and daddy found a new husband and wife. It's going to be mommy and mommy got divorced and now I've got four mommy. You know, it's, things are going to start happening because, you know, now society has changed to where new stories that push the boundaries are going to come out there. And um, I certainly don't want to be typecast in any way. But I am completely open to uh, like going gay again or whatever. If it's a good story that can help society in some way, because it's not that, you know, like a child of like a, a father, father is going to be as affected because that's love. That's daddy, daddy, that's mommy, mommy, or mommy, daddy, whatever it is, that's love. But for everyone else to where that's foreign, anything foreign is scary. 
So like Dynasty back in the 80s, putting this out there of like, you know, Ted, you know, gay and bisexual and everything else, what that did was it just opened up, you know, toward the rest of the people in the world that maybe haven't experienced that. It's not quite as fearful. And if it's not as fearful, there'll be less hate. You know, there'll be more love if there's just a little bit of understanding, because what's scary is when you don't understand something. But if you can throw it on ABC or CBS, and even if that's not you, but you see it to where it's like, okay, cool. And hopefully that makes a little less judgmental of a world, you know, a little more understanding, a little more love, a little more compassion. So it was a great experience for me because it opened up a lot. Absolutely. We all need more understanding and and broadening our horizons. I really appreciate you uh, sharing all of that. Thank you. I agree with all that you said, and uh, that was just absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And one of the things about the early version of of, of the storyline with with Ted Denard on ABC's Dynasty was that, and Mark told me this, and this has always stayed with me, and and I'm sure uh, you would probably pick up on this as well, and that is if you replace Stephen Carrington with a woman, it would be the same situation other than all those other factors. Basically, it was just two people that really cared for each other. And that's the most uh, significant thing of all. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. That's, you know. Well, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. And um, I think that's just wonderful, your perspective. Thank you. And that's the one of the great things about acting is is opening our eyes to to, to maybe experiences we aren't familiar with. So it's that word empathy that we discussed earlier. Now, Dynasty, it was glamorous back in the 80s, my friend. It's still glamorous today, isn't it? Because when I see some trailers and clips, uh, wow, they are really, uh, they're, they're really putting on quite the show there. So what's it like to walk on the sets uh, for Dynasty? Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. <laughs> I have... Never had lunch next to a Lamborghini Murcielago, <laughs> Phantom Rolls Royce, and a freaking Bentley. I'm there eating like a like some tuna and some asparagus that catering, you know, brought over, and I'm just like looking at this Lamborghini, like I want to touch you, I want to <laughs> love you forever, I want to drive you. <laughs> so Let's go for a ride. Out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, can I? No, no, no. Get get away from the uh, get away from the Lamborghini. <laughs> you, you silly extra you. I was like, hey, put the yeah, keys nice. down right now. <laughs> yeah, step away <laughs> from the vehicle. The <laughs> hey, what happened to Michael? Why did he get fired? Oh, he took the Lamborghini again. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> and such a talented cast. You were describing that earlier. Um, wow. A lot of people with some impressive uh, accomplishments over their careers, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And, Michael, I do hope, uh, if you don't mind me just saying now, I would love to have you back someday. I'm having such a wonderful time speaking with you. And uh, when you, if, if you would like to come back someday, I'll be able to kind of go deeper into your experience on, on Dynasty because I'll actually have viewed it, and I'll be able to go, hey, what about this scene here? So I hope you will come back so I have that opportunity. Absolutely, my man. We can arrange that sometime for sure. I'll probably have some other stuff in the steamer as well for you. Well, thank you. Now, um, I did want to ask you about The Resident. That is a show I discovered, um, I would say, probably back in the fall of last year. Um, I started watching it on demand, and I was hooked. 
I, I was just really hooked, especially by the human element of it. And despite it being, quote unquote, a hospital doctor drama, it's really not your standard show, I don't think. I mean, I see so many unique things about it. So I would like to ask you, what was your experience like working on The Resident? Well, I'll tell you right now that Matt Zucri and also Raphael from Dynasty are two of the nicest, most humble, giving human beings I've ever met. And they're both leads on those shows, and they deserve it. So working with Matt in itself was such a gift. And I had one quick short exchange with uh, Emily Van Camp, who's tremendous and just so kind, and also Bruce Greenwood, who I respected his work. Uh, ever since I saw iRobot, I went back and started researching mm-hmm. Bruce Greenwood because I was like, holy crap, this guy's amazing. And I had lunch with him one day, and he was just incredible. I mean, working on that set was, you know, it, it was one of the most, it was, it was a little sad for me personally as an actor, but at the same time, I learned more on that set than I had on almost any other set because I had a much bigger role um, in the pilot. But before we got on set, that role kept shrinking down. So I was a, a nice. top of show guest star for that episode, and it was such a gift. And it's still it's such an amazing paycheck um, to do a pilot top of show, especially with residuals that the resident gets. But um, mostly what I did, because I was there for two and a half weeks, and I only got to work like one or two days when I was supposed to be working many days. But they had to keep revising the script because things were changing and network wanted different things. But I tell you what, Philip Noyce, the director of that pilot, as well as uh, many of the, of the episodes and incredible movies like Salt with Anthony Jolie. And, and she's done so much, but he was so kind to invite me to set. He said, Michael, you come learn, do whatever you want. Just, you know, stay out of the way, but you have my permission to, you know, come on set. So I broke every rule, dude. I, uh, <laughs> I sat with networks almost every day watching the video monitors. I mean, I, I oh man, I, I was very quiet, very respectful, but I swear to goodness, I heard, uh, one of the people once be like, oh my gosh, what is he doing here again? But I was there to learn. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, you paid me a lot of money to come act, and you just said, you know, you, my, my, my part keeps going down. So I'm going to learn, and I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be respectful, and I'm going to be quiet. But I'll be gosh darn if I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, for two and a half weeks, not learning. So I watched mm-hmm. Matt. I watched Emily. I watched how they, they, they got so quiet in every single take. And it was just so interesting watching their technique and then their truth come out and their specificity. And I watched how Philip Noyce directed. And then I watched how the network was so in the ear of we got to be faster and everything else. And I watched all the behind the scenes stuff. And my experience on The Resident was, wow, this is amazing. Now, when it comes to story, meeting the writers uh, were incredible. And they were so adamant about getting the facts right. And they had you know, professional medical staff, as well as the extras. A lot of those guys are real, you know, nurses and doctors and residents so that Mm -hmm. they can get it right and they know what they're doing. So that when you watch it, it's not just a bunch of actors fumbling around like, oh, yeah, I'm taking blood. (laughs) I mean, you had real people Oh, so some of them are extras. They're actually nurses or doctors. Real nurses or doctors that would come on certain days. That explains a lot. The Lord would allow it. And they're great. And I think it, it really helps, like, tell truth and stuff. So it's yes. such a great show. I was, 
I love the show. I'm really sad that I only got to do the one episode, but it's such a great show. And uh, I hope that people keep watching it because it's, it's something else. I want to encourage everybody out there who has not viewed it to look it up on demand uh, as soon as possible. It, 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 it's a very captivating show. It's got high quality production values and fantastic performances. Uh, I've always admired Emily very much. The Revenge is one of my favorite shows. If I have a top 20 list, it's definitely on there uh, with her performance on, on that show. Now, so you mentioned the doctors and nurses as extras. Okay, let's look at it from a different point of view, Michael. What about as an actor? I mean, you want to get it right. Does a sh- do you, did you find that a show like that would go, hey, this is how you do everything as a doctor when you're doing this and that? Or is some of the research personal responsibility? Um, in, in a, in I other, mean, it's, it's always well, I mean, like that's, a that's doctor. A question. Yeah. Thank well, you. you know, I haven't been in the position to play a doctor yet. I mean, Matt would be the guy to ask about that or Emily or Bruce. But, yes. I mean, in my opinion, any role that I've ever done or anything else, um, it's my responsibility to figure out how to do that. And I, I like to get up and physically learn how to do things. It's one of the gifts of being an actor is that, hey, I get to learn something new. If you watch House MD, you know, if you remember that show back on Fox with Hugh Laurie, mm-hmm. just look at some of the things that he decided. I'm sure he decided as an executive producer on that show to learn how to do. Like he's got a skateboarding scene. He's doing like yo-yo in some of those scenes. And then, of course, he's doing the medical stuff as well. But one of the gifts of being an actor is, you know, if you want to, you can really learn how to do it. And I think the closer you get to truthfully, you know, not just pretending to stick an idea in someone's arm, but if you actually know how to do that, I think the camera picks up on that. And I think that's next level acting. And I think a lot of actors don't necessarily commit to that because Hmm. there's so much work. You know, there's the line, yeah. the PR, there's everything else. So doing that extra layer, I mean, sometimes you don't have time for it. Or if you have a relationship, kids, there's so many reasons not to do it. But for me personally, I love going the extra mile. And for me, that's, a, that's one of the extra bonuses. Is, hey, I just learned how to do this new thing. Yeah, because if you're with a person doing it in real life, so to speak, I mean you are going to pick up so much from them. And, and I can tell that you enjoy learning, uh, I mean, not just the performing part, but, but the preparation. Uh, and so, yes, talking to a skilled doctor, a real doctor, and, you know, I, I have to tell you, if I was to portray a doctor or a series and I knew I was going to be on for several, several episodes, I might try to find a doctor where I could say, hey, can I follow you around a little bit? <laughs> because I just want to learn how you go about your day. Uh, I don't want to operate on anybody, but if I could just watch you, that would be great. I'd be like, give me the scalpel. Right? Can, I, can I come in? Is it going to be malpractice? What's going to happen? <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Well, that could get a little dicey right there. Um, yes, it could. That was, that was well put. Dicey. I like what you did there, Stephen. Well, um, Emily, speaking of Emily, uh, the beautiful actress and equally as talented, uh, did you have much interaction with her while filming? You know what? I only had one interaction with her, and she was so incredibly kind and gracious, and you could tell that she's used to being a star on set because she was gracious and kind. 
And yes. that's the type of leaders that you need. Someone who leads, by example, leads quietly yes. from the back, is kind, gracious, lets people feel comfortable and at ease. Those type of sets are the type of sets that I love being on. And when it's my time to lead, that's how I'll be leading as well. Because there's something amazing about being on the same level as someone, no matter how far up the hierarchy they may be. They make you feel that you're right there with them because from a human standpoint, you are. You're right there with them and we're in this together. That's why auditions can be rough sometimes. I love getting direction because I like collaborating. I'm going to go in there with strong choices, but if we're in an audition room and then you don't give me direction, you rob yourself of one of my superpowers, which is I want to play with you. Let, let's play. Come on. Let, let me play with you. You know, <laughs> but Emily was such a sweetheart. And I think I could be totally wrong about this. I don't, gosh, I could be wrong, but I'm saying it anyway. I don't remember if who came on first. It was either Emily, I'm assuming, brought on Philip Noyce, who directed the pilot of Revenge, because I know that you oh, like wow. Revenge, you said, or yes. Philip Noyce got on and then got Emily Van Camp involved. But one thing I've noticed is there are people that I love working with that I hope to get to work with again, and I'm always looking for ways to work with them, and they're always looking for ways to work with me, like Michael Satrizamas from The Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead. He's tremendous. We work together on Lord, and I feel like we've been trying to work together ever since. And failing miserably. Oh, no. But um, we're there for each other, even if we're not I there. See. And same thing with like, um, Stephen A. Abelson, who's another incredible director, and his wife is an incredible director, uh, an executive producer as well. So there's certain people that, you know, if you get attached to a project, you know, you want to work together with people again. So I wonder if that's what happened with Emily and Philip. And since you like revenge, I thought that you'd enjoy that. It's quite possible. She, wow, she was just so good in revenge. I love a production that takes you on an emotional journey, and that would be revenge. And I just love that show. I'm so pleased to hear all of that. I'm not surprised at all. You know, I think of her as, as, as a true professional, but all that you just mentioned really adds so many layers to that. And, and that just, uh, that just makes my heart sing with joy because we're all in this together, as you, uh, so well said, uh, Michael. We, we really are. And, and one of the goals I have as host is, is to highlight my guests. And, and that's, you know, the, 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 support and cheer them on and and that's one of the things i love love doing as a host and well i have to tell you what um before we conclude here another show i have not yet seen and let me tell you this is rather rare most of the time uh with my guests i i'm like hey i have seen this and i have seen that <laughs> but this is a unique situation for me and that would be sun records <laughs> so anybody listening out there that has never heard of sun records how would you describe it and, and also your character? Oh, it is the birth of rock and roll, baby. It is how Sun <laughs> Records was developed. We found Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee, Lewis. Whoa. You know, yeah, I mean, this is the show that you watch if you're down for music, you're down for mm -hmm. history. It's two-time Oscar-nominated director. got the entire thing. Uh, Freaking Mr. Roland Joffey. 
you know, it's Leslie Greif, two-time Emmy-winning producer who's brought such amazing historical work, and I can't wait to work with him again. Um, you know, it's Chad Michael Murray coming from being a teenager in his, you know, shows back in the past to being an adult playing Sam Phillips, who created Sun Records, and these incredible actors, uh, Margaret Ann Florence, Kira O'Donnell, uh, Drake Milligan, Billy Gardell. It's just, it's a slew of an all-star cast telling a story about, you know, 1950s and season one, which is all we got, about Elvis Presley and the beginning of, of rock and roll. And my character was um, Earl Hutchins. Um, I went in for uh, Sam Phillips. Chad got that one, which is great because he did a tremendous job. And then I got stuck in a love triangle who was pinned against Chad. So I ran something called WHBQ. It was a radio station back in the day, and they played Elvis Presley. And then there was a famous DJ back in the day played by Kiro O'Donnell. That guy's name is Dewey Phillips, and he started playing, you know, African, you know, African American tunes on a white radio station, you know. And this was the South, you know. We're talking about Memphis, Tennessee, and then we're talking about, well, y'all, y'all playing black music here on a white radio station. That's not gonna fly right there. We ain't gonna do that, you know. So it's Southern, you know. So we're getting back to the grassroots, and my job, unfortunately, is to be a little bit of a of an ass. You know? Oh, no. Because <laughs> I'm trying to get, you know, what are you doing? You can't play this type of music you know, on the white radio stations. The kids, you know, we're, we're truly going to get shut down by the cops. The radio stations get death threats. Sam Phillips from Sun Records is getting death threats because mm. we're trying to push a narrative, which is this music has soul. And then you got Elvis Presley with the soul, you know, of something other than what was just white back in the day, all vanilla like, and then we're trying to put it out there. So I'm caught in the middle of that. And then I also fall in love with, uh, Chad's, you know, girl, his side piece. And then I'm more of a romantic. So I really fall in love with her. And, uh, you know, Chad, Is that the, the dark haired beauty I see on clips. Yeah. Margaret okay. Forrest, man. She's a tremendous New York city actor. Wow. And um, she's great in the role. And I remember when I screen tested, I screen tested with another phenomenal actress who was shooting a series in Texas called Queen of the South, if I remember. And she's tremendous, too. Her name is Keely Blair, and she was a fiery redhead. And she was tremendous to screen test with. And I was like, man, she's going to get it. But, um, you know, it's funny how that works. And it's funny how you act with another person. That's a totally different vibe. But another thing for actors is Healy was a redhead. It wouldn't have made quite as much sense. You know, she had more of a, you know, voluptuous body type. And then Margaret Ann Florence was, you know, a little like more, you know, traditional rail skinny 1950s. And, you know, also a little bit stronger of a demeanor and a little less emotionally open when it came to certain things, but it works so well. But, you know, it's just, it's always fun. Both those, both those actors are so tremendous. And it's always funny to see who gets a role, you know? I can't but, wait um, to see this. That's just good, man. This <laughs> is good. I went all over the place, but it's good, baby. I am excited. Now, uh, the series has concluded. Is that correct? Was this a limited series? 
Yeah, they purchased it as a limited series. And what I, I love see. about Leslie Grice, the producer, is he had the foresight to storyboard and start writing a season two and three. And I love people who do that. I really need to contact Leslie again. Because um, people who go the extra mile and they prepare for success, they prepare for lightning strike, striking, are going to be ready when it does. And with CMT, in this case, they were trying to get script. They are getting scripted television off the ground, but it was a new thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was still whatever it was, but they weren't ready to commit to a season two, even though Leslie was ready with the guns mm. blazing, you know, but, uh, you know, that's, that's how it works sometimes. Sure. So it was a limited series, eight episodes. Quick. I'm very excited to see it. I assume it might be available on Amazon prime. Um, yeah, you'd have to purchase it. They never mm -hmm. put it on streaming. I don't know why. Well, I would say money. Well, well spent. So I'm looking forward to seeing your performance and all those other colorful characters. Um, I'll tell you what, you would be probably pretty good in the PR business too, Michael. I think the, you, you really, you really sold that to me. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, it's easy for me to sell things that I believe in. Absolutely. Because, because it all comes from heart and, and that's yep. a beautiful thing. Well, um, is there any current projects or projects down the road that you would like to uh, discuss or bring up at this time? No, not really. I've got a couple of things in the works, but um, it just depends like which way we I go. I'm, I'm in that really interesting spot to where I've been offered um, a few indies recently that I really wanted to do. And because it's pilot season here in LA, um, I decided to decline some of these independent features which creatively can hurt a little bit, but um, I'm trying to just make room for pilot season, be as supportive as possible to my friends and um, yeah. And just uh, make way for that. And uh, also creating a, yeah, you know, I've been more focused on, on life and just getting ready. Like I'm in a trusting phase. I call it patient persistence. Abraham Lincoln once said, you give me eight hours to chop, down a tree and I'll spend the first six hours sharpening the axe. So I'm sharpening the axe. Steven. I love it. I love it. And one thing I really um, find appealing about you, Michael, is, um, well, like I mentioned, you've been very supportive of me privately with, with this show and just me artistically. But when I uh, read a lot of your posts on Instagram, which I'll be sure to uh, ask you how folks can track you down, so to speak. But when I read many of your posts, I find them often very insightful. And I am a person, I'm like a sponge, Michael. I, I love when people inspire me. And you have done that, and you've done that even more so today on the show. And I want to go ahead and say thank you so much uh, for your ah, inspiration. You're welcome. Of course, and man, how that can is folks why I'm on this earth. Well, I appreciate you. And how can folks out there go, hey, I want to I wanna look at some pictures of you or learn more about you. Uh, what's the best way to do that? That sounds dirty, Stephen. I mean, <laughs> I, I want to look at pictures, too. So. Well, <laughs> uh, I, how about the PG version? If, if they wanted to go down the PG path. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe um, PG-13. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, we can do that. Um, yeah, no, I, I keep it fairly PG-13. PG. I mean, unless I'm out there with my girlfriend, then I no, it's still PG. I'm pretty yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the um, lines get blurred. It, it seems anymore with those ratings. <laughs> oh my gosh! I know. 
the, the PG-13 no, seemed like rated R's almost. <laughs> no, it's interesting. People's tolerance level just keeps going up and like looks yeah, more and more yeah. acceptable. And it's like, eh, okay, cool. Well, Michael, Whatever just on a quick do. side note, do you know the film that caused the PG-13 rating? No, what was it? Well, are you ready for this? It's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Now, while it was originally released as PG, Spielberg had made a comment that, you know, that perhaps it is a film that some parents would want to put their hand over a young child's eyes. And that's where the whole idea of, well, we could come up with a different rating system that say, hey, okay, but it is going to be a little more intense than a typical PG film. So there's a little film fact for you. That's incredible. I, I had no idea. That's, that's I'm full really of cool. things like that, Michael. So if you ever need to know something obscure, give me a call. <laughs> I will. Yeah. You and my dad. Okay, <laughs> great. That. That's awesome. Well, what about this okay. Instagram page? I think I spoiled it, but you do have a, a great Instagram page. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm easy to find. I am M. Patrick Lane. So... It's easy. It's like Michael Patrick Lane, except without Michael, you just put an M, and then a Patrick, and then a Lane. What? And it should be you. <laughs> well, theoretically, just look for the uh, look for the dude with the blonde hair, blue eyes, black shirt, and a blue check mark. That's me. The blue check mark. That's right. Otherwise, yeah, they could yeah, yeah, they could wind up on someone else's page and go, you know, I don't know about this. You know, I'm just looking forward to people <laughs> making Michael Patrick Lane pages. And it's not me. I just, I can't wait. And I'm going to comment all the time. I'm just going to mess with them. I'm going to be like, oh. hey, yeah, man, I remember posting this. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but it's going to be funny. You're, you know you've uh, really moved up when that happens, Michael. When people start <laughs> yeah. impersonating you on yeah. social media. I'm still down here in the mud. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have to tell you. I got a private message on Twitter. So, yes, I have a Twitter page for the show and also for me, Stephen Brittingham, just to add that in there. But I received a private message from, are you ready for this, Howard Jones? Okay. He said, hey, I've been away from social media and I'm just starting up and I noticed that um, you seem like a good person to connect with. And I'm like, dude. I know you're not Howard Jones, <laughs> but, but A for effort. And of course, you check back two late two days later, and guess what? This page has been taken down by Twitter. <laughs> oh, meanwhile, Busted. Howard Jones is like crying in a corner somewhere. Nobody said him to be my Twitter friend. <laughs> and, and I've I, every so often I've received messages um, from someone impersonating someone like that. And, but, um, but you're right. Look for that blue check mark. You also have a great website. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I need to update a little bit more, but um, yeah, no, thank you so much. I happy to have content out there. Well, thank you for being such a fantastic guest and it's been so fun and insightful and it definitely goes along with my meaningful interviews approach. So thank you so much. True pleasure. True pleasure to talk to you as well on this podcast, my brother. And thank you as well for being so supportive privately on Instagram as well as you just, you know, you really do create meaningful interviews. Uh, every interview I've listened to and just so grateful for because there's other people on the path of their dreams and it's encouraging. So thank you for taking your time in order to investigate other people and share that with all of us. 
I appreciate that. That really touched my heart. Thank you so much, Michael. And I also want to thank the listeners out there. And I would like to add that uh, after speaking with Michael today, there's all kinds of things I could say about the interview experience. But one thing that stands out is whatever artistic projects you might be involved with, or let's just say goals. You know what? It is a journey. It might take some time. But give it all you have, and chances are some beautiful things can happen. Well, this is host Stephen Brittingham, feeling extra grateful to have such a wonderful guest today. And I will catch all of you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Do you happen to have a question or a comment for me? Or perhaps you feel that you might make an interesting guest here on Hollywood and Beyond. Whatever your reason may be, please feel free to contact me anytime directly at the show's official email address. That would be hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. That is hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.